Hello and welcome to this week's Stats Bomb Podcast with me, James York, and... That's the sound that you've heard for the last three months. That right there. It's good. It's a good sound. I like it. We should go back to that. No more podcasts, James. How much dead air have you... This is just broadcasting heresy, (laughs) this is. Broadcasting heresy. You can't just insert dead air into a media product. I thought I was out. Nonsense drug me back in. Here we are. If you want to complain, do it. But you know who I am. The readers, the listeners know who I am. I just like to say, I was was never against cancelling the podcast. So uh, Wait, you you were never against cancelling the podcast. That is correct. You were not against it. It's all right having a chat with you and you know doing stuff and i can i can keep on message ted because that's the problem isn't it ted we've got lots of customers and we've got to be nice about all of them so this is going to be the happy clappy stats bomb podcast where all teams are good and we like them and there are nothing nothing (laughs) to criticize in football at all (laughs) yeah that's yeah um yeah so we i took a a choice and james was not completely against the podcast but i took a choice um earlier this year because we were working with so many teams that we needed to be a little bit careful um uh, i think we have often been surprised at who listens to the podcast and and in ways that we never expected like i i found people in the united states that were you know heads of analysis that i'd never actually talked to that were listening to things. I found people at the big six clubs that were heads of analysis. They're like, oh, yeah, I listen to your podcast every week. And you're like, shit. <laughs> have, we, have we been really mean about this team? Yeah, probably over the course of years, Ted. We must have slayed every every team in one one way or another. But it's constructive criticism. This is what it, we it do. It is. We're, we, it's not personal. No. We have no beefs. No. Like the, no, no football beefs out there for the Stats Bomb crew. But... Um, yeah, and, and the transfer market actually became something that I became very cognizant and sensitive about as well. Because typically, in the past, we would review transfers during the summertime. And, you know, it's not me just blowing spoke to say that we have some influence on the market and people's evaluations one way or another. And so when we flagged up players that were potentially under the radar or maybe possibly going to be signed by teams that are now customers, uh, that causes problems because you know it, it you know if if you find them and then suddenly there's a bidding war and you talk about them and then other teams hop in and suddenly it's like millions of pounds that have changed in the price tag because that's bomb said something nice about them and brought them to the attention of other people that might not have listened to the or might be listening to the podcast it uh yeah that's bad <laughs> so so i we have had to make a lot of adult choices about this pot and for those of you who miss it i do respect that and i appreciate it and i actually miss it too i like talking about football especially during the pandemic i miss it a lot um you know back in the when the lockdown first started uh you know i was trying to do weekly stuff with with people around football because there was nothing else to do and honestly i just wanted to like hang out and talk with people and you don't get to do that enough and that's frustrating so um yeah so james and i have been quietly recording our own secret podcast sessions and not releasing them to you <laughs> this is not true those, those <laughs> of you are thinking oh i don't like this no it's not true anyway we do <laughs> so, have, we someone's do have, like we ha- hacking your we have work <laughs> meetings <laughs> but they're, they're, that's a whole different whole different thing anyway we should probably get into this ted you've written you've actually written something that approaching an agenda here which is uh quite a quite a you know um I normally do these kind of things, but I'm, James, I'm intrigued. James, what are you trying? What are you trying to tell people about me? I run this company. You know? Exactly, you run the company. <laughs> that's what you do, and that's uh, I do these kind of things. So, but you've got an agenda. So, where do you want to start on your agenda, Ted? Do you want to rattle through it in order, or are there things that you want to hit first? We we have never in the history of this podcast gone through an no. agenda actually in order. <laughs> it weaves. It's a it's a random walk. Uh, but no, we should start about some of this other stuff. So. Uh, as often is the case with this podcast, even when it's delayed by months, um, we are going to leak some stuff that's going to come out on the social media and the site uh, a little early. So you lovely listener ears get to hear some things a little early, which includes the fact that we have kick-ass customers who are doing really well all over the place, and we have marketing 
uh, clauses that say that we are allowed to talk about some of these kick-ass customers. So we're going to talk about them. Okay. Should we start in Francais? <laughs> I'll I'll leave this section to you, Ted. You, what, what, because I'm I'm unsure how much you're prepared to say, and you're it's, as you say, you're the CEO, <laughs> so you can talk about which bits of these which bits of these clubs you're allowed to reveal. But you're chaperone, James. It's like being in a in, in a PG thirteen show. Like you've got a parent with you. I'm literally I am super the chaperone as I have editing control over this whole podcast. So yeah, I, I I meant the adult was with you, not the <laughs> other way around. That's just mean. Yeah, now I'm not the adult. Okay. Um. Yeah. So Ren are at the top of the the league end table, and uh, they came on board. Uh, actually visited them like a year before. Some of these customer things are like they take ages to get across the line for various reasons. Not least because football changes a lot, and people behind the scenes change a lot. And you're like just about to sign a deal with somebody, and then suddenly everybody in the club is gone. And there's an entirely new set of people there that you have not talked to before. So that makes it a little complicated from a business perspective, but nevertheless, Ren are customers. Um, and in fact, we are, as I've said before in various places, we um, support almost all of the big clubs in, in France. And that's been really quite heartening. Uh, if you might've seen briefly, I mentioned that I was a little excited and, and rooting for um, red, white, and blue flags in the Champions League uh, late rounds. Uh, I'm not going to be specific about those, but yeah, it's been it's been really good. And and we've talked about in different places like how aggressive France has been and moving forward in the stat space, and it's been surprising and and in some cases quite thrilling to to see them do well, especially compared to like some of the other countries around. So yeah, I think Ren. I think people, yeah, people probably don't realize that. Or you know, maybe some do, but like you know, France, France has definitely had a very good pickup on the whole data analytics world, and you know, we we, we can you know say say that with some confidence. Um, you know, English language obviously leads the way. I think there's a real depth of kind of pickup of. Um, uh, interest in data and analytics, uh, bringing it into club space, uh, that's, that's only growing all the time. But yeah, France, France is a, an interesting one. Certainly, is you know maybe a you know kind of a, a second tier of maybe not even second tier. You know, there's, there is real real pickup there. Anyway, where else? Where else could we go, Ted? We re- we did announce. I can. I'll happily say this because we announced it on our social media channels the other day, and that was at Augsburg, who ha- who beat Dortmund, which which is great. It's like, ah, oh, yes, right. We like <laughs> you. We like you. You're our team, and you beat one of the best teams in Germany. So this is all good. Not that we don't like Borussia Dortmund. No, not at all. I, I feel like we should t- make that clear. But you know, well done to Augsburg, winning at home against Dortmund. Uh, yeah. Uh, we also, you know, well done to Stuttgart, uh, a 4-1 win this weekend at Mainz. Uh, Mainz have now let their coach go, but uh, friend of the podcast, Oliver Bartlett, is there hanging out at Stuttgart. So nice to see them off on the right foot. Um, let's circle back around to our home country here. There are some blue teams at the top of the table. There are, yeah. We apparently we apparently work with the blue teams as well. <laughs> right. You've literally written saying. blue teams at the top of the table in this document. There are, so <laughs> there are two blue teams at the top of the table, and we have permission to mention the fact that we work with those blue teams who are at the top of the table on the 29th of September of 2020. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Now we can't say anything bad about any of those teams ever again. <laughs> uh, no, but luckily some of these teams are good. Good anyway. Like for example, um, you haven't just named a name. I don't want to be the first person naming a name. I'm not doing that. I'm saying nothing until you say something. Uh, there's a blue and yellow team that's in seventh <laughs> that we also work with. Is that? <laughs> they, they were officially announced. Really? <laughs> anyway, they were officially announced. It doesn't matter. But yeah, Leeds. Loser. Yeah. James loser, uh, not Leeds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, Leeds. Yeah, Leeds. Leeds have been interesting so far. They've been fun. Um, quite an entertaining start to the season. Goals everywhere, but there's goals everywhere. I mean, where do you want to go with this, Ted? Do you want to get into the tuck into the Premier League? Is one of these things is written here? Worries and weirdness. Should we just mention that Everton and Leicester are both? Go on then. Yeah, 
Okay, that's done. Cool. Let's talk in the Premier League. All right, awesome. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, I posted something on social media today, uh, and they were, uh, attack defense radars, <laughs> one, one for Chelsea, one for Manchester United. And I was looking at things over the weekend and obviously it's very early, but I, I kind of hit some stuff and I was like, this, this has to be a bug, right? Like these teams have not been this bad, but it turns out like performance when you take penalties out, uh, have been, uh, not particularly good in, in certain cases. So yeah, I figured the the weekend was really strange and it was worth a conversation and we will eventually talk a little bit about VAR and handball but I wanted to just talk about like you know the first couple of games of Premier League seemed like a good idea yeah no it's true I mean I, I think Chelsea and United have, have started Man City have started um, Arsenal Arsenal still look like Arsenal I think this was a debate that kind of bounced around after the Liverpool game a little bit and we discussed it a little bit in the work slack and stuff and it was like you know what 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 are Arsenal right now everyone's kind of confident that Arteta's pointing them in the right direction but is is they haven't got any metrics right now they still haven't got any metrics and that, that's my yeah that's a worry now that's my I, I now have concerns like we're three games in and obviously last night was you know a score aided yeah. weird one There's against no Liverpool no thing about losing to Liverpool that's just that's just life and you know every you know Tottenham, Tottenham is still Tottenham are, there are signs of life at Tottenham some but you know the result was crap but basically the bottom line is Liverpool the only reliable team in the whole league apart from Fulham but that's another story um, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about them uh, a little bit later. So you know, it, it's probably easiest to start with Arsenal. Like Arsenal have not had much of a summer. The transfer market is is a broader theme in all of this. Um, aside from the bank of Roman Abramovich, who has made liquidity uh, his his main thing, um, and actually, you know, they they seem price insensitive continually, despite the fact that the league. And the world suggests that you should be super price sensitive right now. But they brought in all of the people that are not defensive minded. Um, but yeah, so like the, the transfer market is stuck and that's not a surprise. Uh, I put out a, a memo to all of our customers back when the pandemic hit, uh, basically assessing what we thought was going to happen. We thought it was even more serious than what um, you know, CIES was saying, which is like a 25 or 30 percent downswing in like transfer fees and stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I said that the potential is there for things to get stuck. Could be 50% uh, just off the top outside of the super elite players. Some super elite players would still go as luxury goods because there are very, very few of them. But what you would see is that like no one, you, most players would not move. Um, you, you couldn't shift them, which was a big problem because people wouldn't want to take on new salary. Uh, guys that were sort of unfancied or average players would suddenly see huge drops in their offered salaries and and the the fees the teams would pay for them because there just isn't that much value and the lower leagues especially would would get stuck and we've already seen that we'll talk a little bit about um what's happening in the lower leagues later on in the show but arsenal are a set of mismatched toys and my my preview that was did strangely well actually uh, on the site this summer was that you know they have a lot of things that they need to clean up. I think Gabriel or Gabriel has come in and looked really good. I think that especially like as a one v one defender and a guy with some pace, he's been uh, a breath of fresh air. But beyond that, you can still see that they have a lot of guys they want to get out. They want they would like to reinvest in someone like uh, Hussein Mawar, um, but it's it's. It's hard, and allegedly their last uh, bid was thirty-eight million. You never believe this stuff, but you can understand that you know it's not going to be fifty or sixty million like uh, like Lyon were looking for. Yeah, it's it's bizarre, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. I don't know where where this last week of the transfer window is going to go because the, someone some some someone wise said earlier that there's going to be a load of loans in the last few days as everyone just tries to kind of like balance things out and i think it's very believable but teams are being super careful about taking on even salary because it's you know they're already losing a ton there isn't a way to make them not lose a ton um and so the salary is now a thing whereas before you know wages outside of the super elite like an extra 20k a week an extra 50k a week in the premier league whatever that's no big deal right now, like that's a that's a million pounds that you don't want to add to the the red 
the red ink on the the budget sheet. It's it's all uh, balance sheet. It's all bad. Yeah. So Arsenal are mismatched. They still don't play particularly good. Uh, they were not good against West Ham. Everybody's good against Fulham, so that doesn't count. Last night they were okay against Liverpool, but they've gotten results over time, and so like that's an interesting question. We don't know that much about them right now. I think there's some positivity. I think that you know you're not necessarily going to grab somebody that's immediately better, but you know if you're not seeing significant upticks in the numbers and the style of play uh, that they actually execute by the time that you get to Christmas time. Yeah, maybe this is not what you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, this is true because like there's, there's the there's the twin factors going on here, isn't it? It's like how good is this squad? Is this just how good this squad is? And then like Arteta trying to install a style of play on top of it um, with the players. I mean, I, I, I think someone commented yesterday saying about you know you can see what he's trying to do with the defensive possession, uh, but the midfield's not good enough right now. And it's like, mm. well, I don't know. Then some of the problem right now is solving how to work that midfield in with the defence to, you know, you can't just like wave off the midfield, well the midfield's not good enough right now, and say then that that's that's the problem, it's like well you have to can somehow conceive a way through it, you can't just sit there and be, be like well we'll take, we'll average 9 shots a game or 10 or 11 shots a game forever I think I looked at it, they haven't taken over 13 shots, 13 shots is about average in a game um, in a, in a you know, Premier League game, it might be less now, it might be 12 and I know expected goals means that you know that that line in the sand is is variable, um, but there are kind of like limits limits either way. You know, shots don't average shots over a long period of time only get so good or so bad, and and so on and so forth. Uh, but they haven't taken more than thirteen shots a game in a, in a Premier League match this year, I think. So that's you know all of twenty twenty, nine games that came after the lockdown, three games this season, um, and a bunch. Uh, you know, that was before the lockdown, and that's a long time to just just not have a day when it, everything just you know everyone got free and easy and started started creating a lot and dinging shots here there from here there and everywhere. And it's just I can see why this frustration with with the fact that you know Arsenal haven't managed to kind of create more and be a little bit more kind of um, thrilling to watch at any point during. Yeah, it's the, it's a, weird like a the year. <laughs> The Fulham match was fun, and everything else has been strange. And obviously, winning a, a a piece of silver is great, but you know I'm I'm pretty high on on this concept overall. But you're pointing out some stuff that is a problem. Like they they're not rampant in attack. They are second through three games, including two against West Ham and Fulham. They have the second fewest attacking shots in the league. Like the only team that has fewer is West Brom. Now, they don't have the worst expected goals in the league. But again, this is, you know, why aren't they rampant? And you know, the Liverpool game is going to skew a lot of stuff. But these are things to be concerned about. They are things to watch for. Now, six points, though. They're in fifth place right now. Uh, two goals uh, behind Villa, who have a game in hand, whatever. Uh, you know, they're they're tied with Crystal Palace. You know, that's, that's respectful, right? Like, you know, who... At the bottom line to me is, what does a good team look like? A good team will regularly outshoot and dominate the opposition. It just will. That's that, mm. that's almost like you know, it's just it's just, it's a perennial. It will happen. That, and that's why I was kind of, even though the Tottenham Newcastle game, it just reminded me of you know one of your very early articles, the Ericsson article you wrote when Tottenham lost one 0 to Newcastle in 2013. Newcastle, Tottenham, Newcastle, is just this fixture that always seems to go wrong for for, for Tottenham, but. Uh, much like that game, seven long years ago, Tottenham took loads of shots, had loads of good chances, and just couldn't couldn't get the right end of it. And then obviously it was a stupid penalty at the end. Um, I but, saw a piece of trivia that said that that was the most shots a new a Newcastle goalkeeper had saved on a day since that game. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you know, these, uh, that game is stuck in my mind. You wrote a whole article about that game because it was it was you know Ericsson showing some real promise in the early days of you know he and, and Spurs fans having a meltdown around. Yeah, it yeah. Because thought, they didn't think you because they lost and they thought you know maybe he wasn't very good and stuff. And obviously yeah. history proved you right. And yeah, it's, it's it's always been one that I've had in mind. Plus the bloody Newcastle fixture. But the thing is. <laughs> You know, at the weekend they drew one-one, but they, you could see right. This is good. They they've had a lot of the game. They've dominated the game. Newcastle have created basically nothing, and you know Newcastle have got problems at the best of best of times right now. But that's what you want from this kind of fixture. And it's like right, okay, that's 
pointing in the right direction. And they were crap against Everton in the first game. So, you know, we, we're literally, everyone's reacting game by game to try and get some vague idea of, like, what's going on uh, with the team. Um, it's early. Yeah, but, I mean, the thing is, because we've got the summer so recently, you know, when things are linking to that, you can maybe kind of think, okay, right, this there's some kind of tangent that works here like for example West Ham were really strong in the summer period and they've started off okay uh, you know great win the other night uh, I was really high on Leicester at the start of the season because their metrics even though their um, results were crap during most of not crap but mediocre during most of 2020 their metrics were always strong and they've come out and they've you know had a really fast start so not a massive surprise even Everton ironically their their metrics are not super strong through the start, but a lot of that is crazy score aided and the ability to just generate penalties <laughs> seemingly at will. <laughs> yeah, that re- I mean that really helps. And even Everton were interesting because in in Ancelotti's pe- first period before the the break, um, they were really quite strong. Their metrics were strong, and then you know adrift in mid table, you had to wonder like, well, may. I had this idea, and I, it's impossible to prove either way that like some of the teams that were not under much threat in the summer may have just kind of, almost kind of like passed on the passed on those games, kind of got through them, thinking like actually next season is where we could actually really go for it. And they've got some talent upgrade as well, which really helps in midfield. But yeah, it's it's it's, it's interesting. There are some things that you can actually you can actually see from. Uh, you know, from from the summer games and some things that are kind of question mark, and that's the thing with Arsenal because the, you know the, what we're talking about with Arsenal, you know, exists in three periods. You know, the, the, for the first period, the post post COVID break period, and now in this very short um, period that we're seeing at the start of this season, and they're kind of consistent in so insofar as that there's not quite enough going on with this team, and until there is, you, you've just got to say, well. I don't know. If just one midfielder, you know, they used to go and sign Uar or Partey or whoever. Like, that's not going to suddenly make this this team a, you know, 15 shot a game team that's you know defensively sound and. We've been here with it. this club, this particular club. We've been here so many times, right? <laughs> like where where Arsenal are having this this lovely overperformance of metrics, and it's great, and the fan base is is like energized, and then they come crashing back to earth for reasons. And you know it's it's tough to escape your your numbers over the long. I tell you what, something something just to just to finish quickly there, uh, something that it still surprises me now. You go back to late Wenger era, which was you know difficult and frustrating for a lot of Arsenal fans at various points. There is there are seasons in there where their metrics are really good. They're really good metrics. They were contending. They were like you know they weren't just a top four team. They were a top four team that should should be thinking about titles. And that isn't that long ago. And that's what that's what I can't get my head around the fact that you know that even when even the down years of Wenger like had good periods where you could say like actually Arsenal have been playing well, or you know a home match for Arsenal was was almost like a banker against you know a weaker team. You just you, they'd obviously go and win three nil, and they, they always would. And it's just. I don't know. Maybe the perception of you know not ever you know winning a title during that long, long run when they probably had teams that were good enough to do it, uh, and then you know there's a kind of residual idea that, that those those teams didn't succeed as much as they should have, and now they're in a situation with last kind of post Wenger era. They've also kind of not succeeded as much as they should have. They shouldn't be lumped in together. Like the teams were very good. Uh, frequently during that kind of latter era from Vegas. yeah it's true and and you know you showed you you put up some or you created some viz that showed kind of that the generation of of chances over the last four seasons of data that we've got and you know back in the the 1617 era like they they definitely like regularly blew teams out and yeah. you see no blowouts last year at all and and not much the year before and so yeah it, it just seems like they've lost their way in attack and that's that's a huge question mark. Even if you do stabilize the defense, you know you don't want one ones throughout the whole season, or you know you've got to depend on Aubameyang having twenty five goals or something this year in order to get over the hump. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on on this. Um, I did forget earlier in the the stuff that we were mentioning that James has finally produced the data driven scouting or modern scouting and data driven recruitment course on our website. It's on the Academy of and it's awesome. It's such a good course. Spent so much time 
figuring out how do we convey all of this knowledge that we have generated over the years, both on the, the real world practical sense, working for some of the biggest teams in the world on like a consultancy basis, also back to the, the sort of Brentford and Michelin days being at the, the sort of forefront and cutting edge of doing you know, data-based uh, recruitment for real uh, football manager in real life. That's kind of what, what we used to play. Um, and we, we just got a course uh, review in and it says, I think every football team that is starting using data or is not sure if they do it right should take the time, gather as many decision-making people as they can, all the scouts, all the analysts, some coaches, sit together and watch it, discuss it, frame the plan for their approach to data and the transfer market. Uh, lots of great knowledge to share, interesting stories. James is a really good teacher, and it's easy to follow his thoughts. Did you so write that, Jeff? I did not. <laughs> that, I haven't seen I this. Even, That's good. It, it, yeah, I, it is not from me. I did not. <laughs> we did not solicit it, uh, but it is true. It, it's a really great cool. course. And uh, and those of you who are interested in getting involved in the football space, like we made this as something that hopefully teaches you the building blocks for, for how to do this job, which is a very challenging job, do it a little bit better than everybody else. And maybe you end up with your dream job somewhere someday. Yeah, it does, it does kind of cover the whole kind of aspects of, of data recruitment and scouting and how to blend all those things together. It did take a lot of time to write. There's a lot of consideration, a lot of research went into it, like thinking about like what kind of metrics, what, how, what can you use data for? What, how can you evaluate players with, with data? What bits can't you use? Can't you evaluate players um, with data? Because this is the thing, data, data gives you plenty of answers. It doesn't give you all the answers. And actually understanding um, the kind of, the line between those two things i think it's very important so there is this there's a focus on that but yeah there, there is a complete blueprint in there of, of like how you should basically um operate within a club and run run a club's um kind of data department and recruitment and scouting and all of those things so yeah and you even got a special ted module with uh ted did a module so uh there was some you know on the ground insights of like you know what lessons learned i think is the best way of describing your module and i think that's valuable very valuable because over time we've we've seen a variety of clubs good examples liverpool liverpool who are literally the, the benchmark of an analytics um you know orientated football club right now i think uh they, they probably it felt like when uh, damian camoli went there they had a little bit of a misstep with the uh, kind of the Carroll and Downing kind of era of signings and such and they could have easily switched off it there and think like no this isn't working for us this isn't working for us but they didn't um, and okay there's ownership change I think which might have had uh, that, you know, something to do with that but also you know this this was a club that wasn't off put by a misstep and I think over time you know there, there's plenty of charlatans in, in, in the world of football trying to sell shonky kind of data answers and if your club is has encountered them and and making a misstep then you might might be a little bit off put but done properly and done with um, consideration and thought uh you know the the world is your oyster really when it comes to actually integrating data into your processes and and big you know essentially looking at teams like liverpool and thinking can we emulate some of the some of the methods of their success so yeah that's that's that it's out there it's available to you it's going to stay out there uh, unlike the set pieces stuff uh, which is gone for the rest of this year and who knows for how long after that. Uh, the recruitment course is designed to be evergreen, much like the introduction course. So those are there. For those of you who habla espanol, uh, we have done the introduction course in Spanish. We have not done the recruitment course yet. It might be something we get to next spring, depending on the demand for it. Um, so I think that's a good segue to actually talk about two teams that have been on very different sides and di different approaches of the transfer market this summer. The first one is Chelsea, and and Chelsea, uh, you know, currently have four points, um, and they were you know, dominated at least in the first half uh, by West Brom this weekend, uh, and they've bought all the attackers, and they've also bought Chilwell. But you know, there are things about their fitness, and uh, they might have had a COVID outbreak uh, going into their preseason, so like you know, guys might not be fully up to speed. And then you mentioned United, who people also say are not fully up to speed, but they haven't really tucked into the transfer market almost at all. Uh, say waiting for Sancho, uh, which doesn't seem like it's going to happen because you know Dortmund realized how awesome he is and they don't really want to let him go for anything remotely on the cheap, especially since his deal is uh, you know, still has a couple years to run. So are there reasons to be concerned for either of these teams, uh, especially given you know what we saw at the end of last year and then going into, uh, into this season? Or should 
should people just chill out? Um, I think with Chelsea, probably chill out a little bit. Purely because um, it, they're, they're so curious because they, they, they're just... They're just they just ship goals. <laughs> they don't seem to have managed to stop that. They have bought a new keeper, which will be intriguing to see if that kind of shaves things off. But the, the West Brom game is a good example. You know, they went 3 0 down. It was like, what the hell's going on? But West Brom had scored all their shots. Um, these weird things can happen. And to be fair, they ground out the rest of the game and got back into it and were generally dominant. And West Brom couldn't repel them. Um, there's so much talent in that in their attack. Um, if how they can knit it together and actually um, you know, build a coherent uh, kind of strategy and team and formation even. I, I'm not sure. And I'm not sure even Lampard knows yet. And that's not a slight on him. I mean, I know you know people's people's views of Lampard are, are mixed, but I, I, it's, it's a genuinely difficult task to look at Chelsea's squad and think like, right, what's my, what's my first 11? I, I'm not sure yet. Yeah, and, and where do I play all of them? And how should we defend with all of these attackers? And what style should we choose? That like that's really hard. He has he has too many attackers that are good that want to see time. Like I I know that you and I are slightly not in agreement on Tammy Abraham, but like that, <laughs> that dude should be starting for a top six club somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Chelsea. That, yeah, that's that's the thing. Like. I, I think the, the the difference in our views on Abraham is, you know, you're higher on him than I am. But like that, that's not to say that I don't think he's not like, you know, a good quality Premier League striker. I just don't. I, I would contend whether he's an actual, you know, like a top four uh, quality striker. And I could see why they bought Werner to to come in and because you know everything about Werner, you think uh, over in Mar, you know, more than more than a season, you think right, yeah, this this is the guy. But, but Abraham's got he's got this slightly ungainliness. I mean, I shouldn't speak like that. It's you know money ball. It doesn't matter how what he looks like. It's how he gets the ball into the net, isn't it? But um, so, and he does that. <laughs> yeah, some of his ungainliness at a very good rate makes me makes me makes me wonder. But you're right. It, 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 there's an argument for uh, players like him. I don't know, Loftus Cheek if he gets his form back. Hudson Odoi should be playing more. You know, yet yet these all of these guys could end up basically riding pine for the whole season. Because Meanwhile, the defensive midfielder feels like they've got one, and he's been a little bit fragile, and he's getting towards his thirties, and he might still be great. But you know, yeah. if Conte is the only thing holding everything together. Uh, yeah, it's it's complicated, but you know, it's still early. A lot of choices to be made. Difficult to figure out how to how to fit it all together. Uh, I do feel a little bad for West Brom, who started out in the Premier League and they faced Leicester. And then they faced Everton, and then they faced Chelsea, and you're like, Ooh. yeah, that's what. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? That's one of those. That's you know, tricky start. But then you know, you look at it now, and it's like, actually, that was a hard start. You know, it's not. You know, just it's easy, easy to think like after the fact. But the thing is, things were a little bit worse than worse than they could be. I don't know about what. We, we have no idea if if they're good or not. No, they're, um. they're, they're, they're probably not, and that's not not a not an issue really. Well, it might be because I get relegated, but they're probably not that good. But three games in they played three very kind of competent units and and you know that's hard um so, so chelsea could i describe you as cautiously optimistic especially with a new goalkeeper with chilwell to come uh you know maybe some more attention to the set pieces i don't see chilwell solving any problems he just basically uh, he's he's a good attacking fullback but they had good attacking Allo- fullback. allows them not to play Marcos Alonso who apparently <laughs> yeah. was in big trouble this weekend yeah it feels like that's, that's that relationship's gone a little sour but um yeah a it just again it, the defensive solidity is where you look at Chelsea's squad and you think like yeah they could do with a bit more of that um, you know reliable centre back Thiago Silva great player but he's too old so what, what what's he doing there maybe he can bring some a cool head but he's too old so like uh, you know the keeper's an issue the defensive midfield's potentially an issue so yeah all the all every team in this league is flawed except for Liverpool right now it's true it really is um, and if Liverpool lose a, a forward. Like either Salah or Mane, like they might struggle a bit too. Like they do have Minamino for some depth. You know, Ryan Brewster, I think, is is good enough to to get time as well. But then, but Diego Jota, Diego Jota played last night, and I I, I feel like I've. I've, I've always liked Diogo Jota. I remember when he's he, so good. I remember when he arrived in the league, and it was like they Wolves bought them, and it was like, yeah, oh, these are Champions League players, and that was just in mind. And I think ever since then, I've just figured, well, Wolves, Wolves don't, Wolves are rich, Wolves, they don't sell players. I've always kind of like in my mind just passed on them as just you know ever kind of selling players. And then Liverpool have bought him, and it's like, yes, of course, <laughs> they should buy it's, him, he's good. <laughs> it was such a good signing and so frustrating. So, like, that, my point was, like, you know, they felt fragile up until, 
and now you're like, hmm, I, I don't, I don't think they're fragile anymore. And you know, maybe, maybe if Trent is is down and out for a while, like you get some complications in creating stuff how they used to, but they still have so many weapons, and they have midfielders that are great attackers that don't attack because that's their style. Yeah, and they've even got backup left back now as well, which was for the first first time in a couple of years. So. Yeah, I, I think Tiago actually solves the Trent problem in a way that is non-obvious. Like Tiago is so good at moving and progressing the ball. That means that if Trent is not doing it, they have another option to do it that we would say is more traditional possession dominant style that hasn't really been what Liverpool played last year. Um, so yeah, it, that seems ridiculous. It's tweaks, isn't it? Every year, every year Liverpool do do something, and then, and then you're like, right, okay, they've they've just tweaked it a little bit, and right, okay, that's that's helped a lot i i feel i feel almost naive to have fallen in with the with that actually man city's metrics are very good and you know we should really respect them this year we should respect man city this year of course like the last game was a bit weird but then you look at their defense and you know the, the problems that haven't been solved there and and then you look at liverpool and it's like i can't there's just there just isn't a chink in liverpool's armor right now and what they've done is is added another layer of armor by so recruiting get, well yeah. again Give it a minute, though. We'll get to the, the, the city side of it. Who are the three teams that Liverpool have played so far this season? Um, I can't even think. In the Premier League. Obviously. It's Leeds yeah. and the 4-3. It's Chelsea. Right. And it's Arsenal. Right, so yeah. So, so, do, you, do you know how many shots they've given up? Not many, is it? Or something? Three games, they're averaging under five shots oh, a game. See, these, are the, these are the teams that are supposed to be able to put up a fight, you know. And Leeds did, but... Oh man! You got you got to wait for them to get tired. Maybe if the Champions League really starts to bite and they get a bit leggy, then then you can have a have a shot. But yeah, it's a it's pretty it's a very stompy start to the season for for the red team. Now let's talk about the team that lost five two this weekend. Do you not want to talk about Man United back then? We'll get we'll get to the other side of Manchester in a second. You you already did uh, the segue. Man, you wanted yeah, to talk Man, about City Man, and... Man City. I mean, I think. They're curious to me because David Silva's gone, and it's like, well, he was old, but they haven't bought a David Silva replacement, so you've got to kind of deal with that, and maybe that's okay. And centre back is just, just a, I, I don't mind Nathan Ake. I think he's quite a good player, but is he the solution for a, you know, an absolute top side? It's hard to make that case, I think. Um. Then they're supposed to be buying Ruben Diaz off Benfica, who I I mean I'm not going to pretend I know much about him, but they're they're kind of like <laughs> the wider wider noises around him are like mm, curious as to whether he's the answer too, and 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 Pugsley, uh, former yeah, Stats bomb original podcaster Benjamin Pugsley, who has followed uh, Manchester City and and Chiki Bigostein for a decade, he's like Chiki's never been particularly great at sourcing center backs like that's always been like one of the weaknesses that he seemed yeah, to have yeah. if you if you had to point one out and so he's not super convinced on <laughs> on that either he wrote, so, yeah he wrote an article didn't he but like i think he's might even been pre-stats bomb like saying you know it might have been early stats bomb article or even pre-stats bomb saying basically you know something to watch you know his, his signings at barcelona the, the defensive ones have been less successful and you can't you can't avoid it laporte was a great signing got injured hopefully he can get back in into some form and get back in the team soon um but yeah did Plus one other, who's who's the other one that's that's going to play with him? I mean, Eric Garcia, bless him, he's only nineteen, and he's I've been asked quite a lot of him really to. And he wants to leave. He doesn't want to stay. <laughs> he's clearly said that he doesn't want to to sign a contract extension. He wants to go elsewhere, but he's still getting time. So yeah, it's it's slightly complicated. And and you know, Pep Pep struggling again would be a very interesting story. But like their metrics are so good. So one of the you know historically anyway. So one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was you dug up some stuff on Hassenhudel and that style, like that aggressive pressing style. I think Liverpool play a different style. I think Liverpool probably play a slightly more secure style, especially the, during the early period of versus early Klopp or particularly his Dortmund years. I don't think Pep has really shifted out of that, that aggro style that often leaves center backs on, on a potential island. Um, and you know it, it leaves a lot of work for uh, Fernandinho to to protect and whatever. So my question is, do we think that the Premier League has there are enough talented teams, enough talented attackers 
to just give Manchester City more variance in their outcomes because they're going to test those guys at all times. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, it's even Liverpool, like, I mean, the, the whole post um, break period <clears throat> was curious, but Liverpool's, like, the quality of shots Liverpool been giving up has been going up all year. And even last night, we saw a couple of opportunities when, you know, Arsenal took very few shots. I think it was four in the game. There's that one that was offside that didn't get called because play carried on and such. But, like, you know, when you're a team that's high up the pitch um, a lot, and, yeah, all these teams have got different kind of styles of play, but the fundamental uh, truth of, you know, kind of pressing teams is they, they are going to leave space in behind. Obviously, Southampton got absolutely shredded by Tottenham last week. Um, by leaving far too much space in behind, but this is this is a problem that you that you scarcely resolve. I mean, Liverpool's really best form probably came where they managed to suppress the kind of like quality of uh, shots against somehow, and it felt like they'd fix things with uh, Allison and um, Allison and, and Van Dijk, and even you can see Allison Allison now because he's so active off his line, and Edison to some degree as well. But they, they can actually suppress the quality of shots by stopping shots even happening by getting off mm-hmm. their line quickly and such. So that's part of the shot suppression. But yeah, I think I think with Manchester City, we there, there were clips from the Leicester game, uh, more you know more than one where you you've got two centre backs and a goalkeeper facing three attackers or or four v three, and you know a whole half to run into. And yeah, I mean, people have people have worked out that you know you're not going to outplay Man City. You know, like Man City Leicester first half of Man City Leicester it was like oh it's just Man City they're just squashing Leicester they're just I absolutely on. when when Mares scored a goal with his weak foot <laughs> off of a corner clearance on the far side I was like this game's done yeah exactly there's like no way that this game is competitive I'm sorry Leicester but like you know they're going to put this away. That did not happen. <laughs> no, you've got the god of all penalty um, accruals uh, in Jamie Vardy, who's just, <laughs> you know, absolute messy-like skill for winning penalties when he get, when he gets touched in the box. Um, but this this is the thing. It's 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 teams have learned that like you've just got to kind of like hope to survive against Man City, and if you can hit them on the break and find space, then you're good. And that was the problem with Pep's first season. Like the Pep's yeah. second season was awesome. They just they didn't give up anything. There was no games. I, I charted this out. There's, there was no games where they gave, they had a bad game where they gave up like loads of chances or anything. Just didn't happen. And then last season was really erratic. Like there were a handful of games where they gave up a lot, or you know they created a lot and they gave up a lot. And it's just got haphazard. And like the, that less, uh, and, the less and game that's the is just exactly that. And it's still that problem persists. Um, so the thing that I thought was really interesting about the Leicester game was they only generated one expected goal. Man City, one expected goal off of 16 shots. Mm. That's really unusual. Yeah. And part of that's credit to Leicester for defending really well. But a lot of it is, you know, they were limited in in where they took shots from. And they, they did really good jobs kind of, you know, just a city settled in a way that they never settle normally. The two goals they scored were off of corners, mm. which also is is pretty unusual. Like they have not been great, you know, on on the set piece stuff even even after hiring some people to to take a look at it. And so I was I'm like really intrigued by this because like there are let's see 1 2 3 4 5 there's only 6 shots in the box. None of them sort of spike at a, at a point 0.4 or better really in our expected goals for which means that there are 10 shots outside the box for Manchester City. That's really unusual, and maybe that's a little bit David Silva. I mean, Pep has options, right? Well, no, like no strikes as well. Aguero and Jesus are out at the moment, so that's you know right. two two guys that are literally just going to kind of ding around in the box and you know cause havoc and, and very good at linking up play, both of them. Um, I you know Foden is not the finished article right now. Zinchenko is viewed as a left back, but when we when we looked at him when he was a kid, he was an elite elite creator as a as a wide forward. Uh, and and you know we'll see like how long it takes Pep. He's he's obviously a great thinker, and you know he does need some some help on the talent side. City have not, you would say, potentially been as good at recruiting as Liverpool because Liverpool have been absurdly good. Yeah. But yeah, this isn't like a pushover team. I don't think that it's a huge cause for concern. But the cause for concern is simply that Liverpool looks so damn good immediately, and they got better over the summer, which shouldn't have been possible. Yeah, I mean, 
I don't know where are Man where are Man City at now. I just like literally a week ago, like they I think they started Rodri and Fernandinho, and it was there was this talk about um, I can't remember the guy's name, Pep's assistant and his four two three one and such, and it was like yeah maybe do that. That's a good idea. One <laughs> Malillo. Yeah, play two play two DMs, and that could be an idea and then I think Fernandinho went off at half time and it all changed and whatever and are you, are you saying that Pep's going to revive the <laughs> the, the 10 role oh, for the entire mean, year of football uh, who, who knows but it's it's weird he's got a bit of a kind of they've got a lot of talent in some positions like kind of like wide forwards and such and then they feel a little bit light in other positions like maybe you know central midfield um, obviously centre back's a bit of a curio and full backs are you know, different. They, 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 they struggle to settle on their fullbacks, don't they? That's the thing, especially left back. It's been a, it's been a kind of in and out position. Without... And he's playing some really young guys too, like really young. You know, Foden and um, you know Garcia are there. They, that the city academy is good, but yeah, Delaps, Delaps, if Mourinho were there, he would be ranting constantly. Yeah, and they have got injuries at the injuries at the moment and stuff. But I don't know. Like, if you just look look at the uh, transfer window as a kind of blank canvas, and it's like, right, David Silva's just left us. Okay, find find me the next David Silva, and we'll buy him. You know that that would to me that would be the just the, the play to some degree. Not uh, let's. By Nathan Ake and Ferran Torres. Uh, Ferran Torres might be a great player. He's only twenty, though. Again, another young, young player. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. Like you know, you take someone like you know, I think Silver started like twenty-one, twenty-two games last season. It's not like he was bit part. He was pretty, pretty, pretty core. Uh, and I think it's Bernardo Silva might be injured as well at the moment. They, they, yeah, I don't know. They just all right. Let's let's shift across to the red side of Manchester because here. I I have some worries, and I have worries because of how they played against the quality of opposition. I have worries because they only generated seven shots against Brighton. I have worries because they were basically even on expected goals against Crystal Palace. You know, the the thing that got Manchester United through last year was an elite defense mm-hmm. and a, a surprising ability to generate penalties. Mm-hmm. And the question, I mean. Everybody's generating penalties at the moment, so that, that edge may have degraded slightly. But the question becomes, you know, when are they going to be able to attack in defense? And and what are the trade-offs as part of that? Oh, this this is what I said. I think I said this in my preview. Like, their, their attack needs some creation um, in there. You can't just give, leave it all to uh, Fernandes and Pogba and expect them to create week in, week out, and everyone in front of them just to shoot. You know, there are too many shooters in this team. That's I think that's my mm. that's my issue with this. Um, it's interesting how Van der Beek fits in because I think he's he's probably good in the boxes. He can be quite creative uh, in attack, but he's not really a build-up guy. But it feels like you know someone like Sancho, who's got elite creative abilities alongside goal-scoring ability, is an obvious pick. But even then, just just someone who can play in one of those kind of like front four roles and offer more creation. I feel like is is it, I think in the preview I said that Alexis you know prime Alexis Sanchez would be ideal for this team and yeah and obviously that that ship has long sailed but um, yeah it just it just feels like that's the problem like you know if you if you're getting a lot of penalties because of whatever reasons and you know you, you can maybe uh, skew your style of play so you're dribbling into the box and picking them up and whatever but you know you can't necessarily rely on that uh, or if you're ballooning over your attacking metrics then these things are highly variable you know if, if you want to be scoring lots of goals consistently over a long period of time you need to be creating a lot of good chances and Man, Man United just simply haven't done that in re- recent times uh, outside of penalties so yeah and I think that you know their squad composition is, is slightly complicated as well you know Wambasaka, good defender can progress the ball somewhat Luke Shaw when he he's fit and healthy like seems like he's a pretty good option they they haven't had uh, you know really any of a preseason because they went deep into into Europe. Um, so yeah, the, the question becomes like, how do you create the best out of this particular squad? And can they, in in the current times, find the ability to, or the money, to to bring in guys that they need or that they want, right? So yeah, everybody has praised Liverpool over the years for like, you know, Klopp sort of sticking a, a, a flag in the, in the ground to be like, I want these two guys, get these two guys. He's the only ones that I want, right? Well, if United know that Sancho is the right choice and they know that they can get him next year, 
like what happens this year and and what are the knock-on effects and it's you know this is why football's amazing game it's complicated like you're dealing with so many different things going around at one time and and you know obviously Dortmund have sold it incredibly well and recruited incredibly well over the years they don't need to they don't need the cash at the moment. They know exactly how good Sancho is. They'd like to potentially take a run at their own league or deep into the Champions League. So, you know, what can United do to to mitigate that? And Dan James probably isn't the choice, and we we didn't think he was the choice for this level of team at the time either. Uh, you know, maybe you put him on late and he runs really fast and can get some chances if uh, if you're on the counterattack. But how does this team create and generate chances at an elite level? Still an open question. You know, a year on, a year and a half. Yeah, and that's on. the thing. You know, if you haven't got Pogba and Fernandez on the pitch for whatever reason, then like, you, where where is your creation coming from? Like, they, these guys can't do it. I all. guess it's Donny, but there's nothing on the right, and and Rash and Martial have not had elite creative numbers no. on on the left either. They're good finishers. Yeah, They're great finishers. Exactly. But that's the thing. You need some kind of balance there um, to you know even it out a little bit. And I just don't think they've got that within their starting eleven. So you know. Not to influence transfers or anything, but they should go and buy someone who can create and you know can fit into their their forward line to some degree. <clears throat> yeah, so so I think United have have concerns, like they have serious unanswered questions. Chelsea, we think you know they're they're looking to stabilize, but there hasn't been like a big influ- influx of new guys on United. Uh, so and and it's the same sort of scenarios that we saw uh, in the in the the back half of last year in the restart. So like that's that's a set of questions. Um, all right, so Everton, very impressive. Alan, your namesake, James. Uh, you know, they, <laughs> Dominic Calvert-Lewin, big, big shock there. Who knew? Who even could have predicted this yeah. a year or so before this about how good? Oh, we did that. Yeah, we did that. I feel good about that one. Um, yeah, so so Everton looked good. We'll see if that's maintainable, but you know, they they seem to have... By a sheer weight of numbers, finally solved some of their yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the thing. You can you can critique critique the, the contracts and the age of these players, but Alan Alan and Hammers, if fit, are good, really good players, and they improve Everton starting eleven, and they're winning games right now. So, okay, that's that's we can we can analyticize all is even a word it's not but we can do that as much <laughs> as we like but the bottom line of football is people want to have fun and watch their team win games with cool players doing good stuff and yeah you know even an old grouch like me can occasionally uh, make a polite nod in the direction of uh, recruiting in that in that area pickford's a concern like he he feels a bit yippy but yeah, if you're if you're just blowing teams out, then that's that's good. You know, they they beat Spurs and and pretty dominant over Spurs. Yeah, Spurs were bad in that game, game right? they, or, or maybe Everton were good. It's hard to say. The, the battle against the, the battle against Palace was a bit more kind of even, and they and they got the right end of it. But sure, you know, it, it's it's early it's early days. They, you know, they and then West Brom <laughs> <laughs> got booed. Um, you want to talk a little bit about Spurs because I think that they're tough to peg right now. They are because their squad's too big and they don't know what's going on with with players and you know trying to ship ship a few out. They're still talk they want to get another striker and maybe another centre back and all this kind of stuff. But um, it's it's tricky and maybe Deli Ali will go somewhere and that would be a shame because I like Deli Ali. But it- there's been so much mismanagement of Deli. Like it, it felt like he was ready to buy in. It felt like there was a project going on, and then the Pocatino stuff blew up, and then now he has to deal with Mourinho. And we knew that Mourinho was going to be tough, and you know there'd be one or two guys that that blew up. But man, like the money of the guys that Mourinho has blown up with, like Dombele and Delhi being two guys that are worth north of fifty million uh, in terms of the transfer market, if it's a transfer market that you can sell them in, which it's not. <laughs> When Dombelli's back in back in favour, seemingly right right now. So you know, uh, Delhi's <laughs> taking his you know seat on the naughty step. I don't know. I mean, I, I watched the documentary, so I've you know got a fairly clear idea of how how everything is approached uh, in Spurs world, at least from the slightly superficial angle of the documentary, which probably isn't worth your time if you're not interested in Spurs or you dislike Jose Mourinho. But um, yeah, it uh, it's, it's kind of it's kind of early. Um, they've 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 played three games. Uh, they didn't look good in the Everton game. They didn't look good for a. They were terrible in the first half against Southampton, and then absolutely ripped them apart in the second half. And then uh, were very good against Newcastle. And didn't get what they deserved. So 
shrug. Don't know what's going on. Who's who knows what what this team is? But there there is like for, <laughs> there's room for a team that isn't Liverpool uh, to just get their shit together a bit and you know contend high high into like the second, third, fourth, but probably not second place. Man City will probably just organise themselves and be second. But like that third, fourth, fifth slots, they're not they're not nailed on. You know, you can you can think Chelsea have got the squad depth, and um, you know the other teams like you know your Leicester's, your Everton's will, will fancy a look at these spots. But you know, for a team like Spurs, maybe uh, if they just kind kind of get on a run and get get this team gelled, then it is not impossible that they can they can bounce upwards, and someone will bounce upwards. Someone always does. <laughs> you know, it's easy just to look at last season's metrics and say like, oh, that's next season's table, but that ain't how it works, and. I don't know. I think there's a, there's enough open questions around Tottenham, and there is a lot of talent in the squad that, if things point in the right direction, they could they could end up higher than people might expect. But that's by no means guaranteed. I I just feel like this season has the potential to be gloriously weird, and yeah. you know I'm kind of like bring it on. Like I I I'd love a bit of weird, especially you know for clubs that we're not working directly with. Um, so yeah, I, that would be really entertaining and and you know the premier league potentially getting even bigger with teams that are quite good is a good thing for the league it's a it's a thing that you know, gives more fans a chance to have like good seasons you you don't want it to just be the top teams and and you know the the american sports leagues that the premier league was kind of chasing uh, often have like a lot of variation in the elite teams, and there's supposed to be a lot of parity. You know, certain dynasties have have eclipsed that, and like the the NFL and Tom Brady and the Patriots. But you know, there are plenty of teams that win the Super Bowl that have not been the Patriots over the course of the last you know 15 years. So I don't know. It, it's it's exciting, and I think it's fun. You know, I think Fulham have a lot of reasons to be worried. Um, I'm not going to put James on the spot about Sheffield United, but he, you know, had some concerns at the end of last year about second season syndrome. Like that's one. I think they're, I think, have... I think they're playing okay, Sheffield United, but like, yeah, it's, it's that the thing when you can, when you can't buy a win, and uh, they haven't. Right, and it's like they could really do with one just to kick the start of their season. Wolves with a rocky start. You know, we'll we'll see where that one goes. They, they people were like, oh, you know, they they're maybe the next club to jump into the elite. I I think that they've been too boring. I think that they've not been the type of team that has shown the ability to have an elite attack, which sort of powers you through like the lower half of the table and churning things out uh, and getting three points, not just one. Um, so I wanted to to talk a little bit about some stuff that we've seen. Uh, I, I guess we should probably talk about handball stuff first. Uh, this is not. What's happened in in the Premier League this year is a shift toward adopting the ruling that happens around Europe. Uh, Spain and Italy especially have had this ruling for quite a long time. Very strict about any ball that hits a hand in the box or nearly any ball. Um, You know, just merits a a penalty handball, which I think is really stupid. I've hated this rule in in other, (laughs) other leagues, and I've been glad that the Premier League has never quite adopted it. And the result of this rule is... It creates real statistical skew in dumb ways. Uh, so here, here's here's an example from Italy last year. Cristiano Ronaldo at Juventus had 19 goals over the course of the season. He also took 13 penalties and scored 12 of them. Now, we separate them out because we think that penalty taking is a different skill. Uh, generating penalties is a useful tagging skill. Converting penalties, you know, you could have your goalkeeper do it. You could have your center back do it. Like, you know, most teams have their attackers do it because the attackers like to have the bonuses, but whatever. Um, so Ronaldo had 13, but like Chiro Immobile had 15. That's a ton. And as, as we've said, I, I don't know if there's a skill element involved in being able to hit somebody else's hand in the box, but it doesn't feel like it's a it's a football skill, you know? Yeah, like, that feels like a different skill. That's the problem. I think the reason everyone's kind of up in arms about it now, and like you say, is because it's kind of like been enforced in England uh, just this season. It's because we don't, people don't want to see like 15 penalties from, for a play. Like Man United had that many penalties like as a team last season, and everyone was like, oh, yeah. well, Man United... You know, getting all these penalties, but that's about the maximum. You don't want every team having fifteen penalties. So there's, yeah, you know, it's one in. It's one also in garbage. Games. It's like, especially yeah, because these are just. It's like let's pick a random incident uh, on the pitch and let's punish that with penalties. It's like I don't know. Do you know what I mean? It's like you know the the, the ball has hit someone's arm, uh, twenty eight yards from goal because it's at an angle from the goal, and it's like why is that a penalty? It's just. 
it just doesn't make logical sense to, especially when it's so hard to score goals that you've got these weird incidents, which is where you know the ball is pinged up and hit someone on the hand. Oh, a penalty! That's you know that's three quarters of a goal guaranteed. Stupid. Yeah, exactly. And this is an inherently low-scoring, uh, low-scoring sport. So like you know these these things are a bigger deal. Um, Marcotti had a, an interesting piece uh, that came out yesterday talking about how it doesn't have to be ruled this way, though. Like, there is discretion. And I have questions about this because, like, you know, if if they'd allow them to do rule it exactly the same way as before, then it would have been fine. I think that England actually had, like, a much better sort of pocket of ruling around this particular incident. VAR was a mess last year. You know, FIFA was very unhappy with how the Premier League implemented VAR. But like the the handball stuff, like the the Premier League has it right. And England in general has it right. It shouldn't be, you know, 15, 20 times a year, you kick the ball up or head the ball down into someone's arm uh, with like no no intent, no beknownst. Like it, it, it just happens. Like that's that's dumb, and it makes defenders look weird, and they they have to make weird choices as well. So I think the Premier League had that right, but there's this much bigger, broader question, and the NFL uses uh, their analytics group to adjust rules of the game and to analyze like how might we create better situations and more sensible ways to to referee or or officiate the the game of football. You know, what should we look at in terms of touchbacks and stuff like that. I'm not going to go deep into American football, but the point is that the league itself uses their analytics group to then produce research on how might we create a better game for spectators and just in general. Football and FIFA and UEFA should absolutely do this. Like the the penalty area should be redrawn to only high value spaces. And, you know, I have ways of also, we've thought about lots of thought exercises for how should you uh, make it so that penalties aren't just like a 75%, 80% chance of a goal. Like you can definitely deteriorate that number in different ways. You can move it back potentially, or you can move it at an angle, which I think is actually more interesting. And you could have the players choose which angle they want to do it on. So, you know, for, for like lesser chances, like it becomes potentially a direct free kick, but, um, you know, in a, in a penalty sort of situation, say from 12 or, or 15 yards, but it's on the, the angle of the goal or, or some angle of the goal. And this is easy to study. Like you can do it in laboratory conditions. You can figure out what it looks like and you can create that type of situation. But like, this is just dumb and it, it creates a bad sport. It creates something that yeah. everybody hates. I, I mean, I think one of the things here with VAR is like VAR exists. So therefore, um, <clears throat> there's no such thing as a blown call in theory because like VAR looks at everything. Like, you know, in, it, let's say there's 100 penalties this season. Pick that number out of the sky. Like, last in, in an era before VAR, I understand 50 handball penalties. In an era before VAR, like, the ref would miss half of them. And that's just life. It's just one of those things. I don't even care about that. It's just sport. It's humans. We're not machines. Right. And But as soon as you bring in VAR, it's like, right, the VAR has seen all of these, all 50 of penalties. So straight away, you've got a, by having VAR, you've got the rules of the rules, and the VAR is VAR. But by having the two together, you have increased the amount of penalties because there's no such thing as a blown call in theory. Um, but the the pace that we're on for penalties, I think it was 109 the previous season, and we're looking at like 275 <laughs> to 300 right now. So obviously, every, that yeah. The, the other idea is it, it slows down people, adapt, people get used to it. And I did note that about Mourinho, all his defenders on shots were like, you know gluing their hands to their backs as if to, you know, to not give away these stupid penalties. And I think that's why he was rueful at the end of that, that game because, you know, one that he couldn't do anything about got given. But, yeah, I, we'll see, I, I think all these things tend to shake out a little bit, but it still feels like, I, I don't know, it's just, just not an in very enjoyable rendition of the game and it, it's going to just, it just piss people it off. It sucks. Yeah, it, it it just sucks. It, and and like penalties are in general, unless they felt like really deserved, like they suck too. And you don't want to create more situations that are feel bad, which it feels like any sort of penalty, especially for like a, a nonsensical, like non dangerous situation that suddenly creates a seventy six chance of goal. Like that's just bad. Um, one more thing. Ah, yes, uh, I want to talk about the bailout that we've heard. And so there's this. The concept of the Premier League bailout of the lower leagues, and I, I find it I find it quite ridiculous to be honest with you, because the Premier League teams are losing a ton of money, and obviously they can borrow more money safely, and 
but like that doesn't change the fact that like they are losing money and they're businesses, right? You're like, oh, they have billionaire owners. Well, those billionaire owners often have like a lot of different businesses and don't necessarily have the cash in order to to make these losses either. And then you get to the championship, and the championship has been like really weird from a finance perspective. And people have been, you know, bu- buying very expensive lottery tickets to try and get to the Premier League and stabilize that. And it's just it's a very fluid league that people have made bad decisions about. Fine. But then you go down through the lower leagues and and you have institutions like club institutions. Plenty of these places have been around for 100 years plus in terms of, of football teams, their community, uh, important community assets. And this is true for like theaters. It's true for the arts. It's certainly true for football. I don't understand why the world and, and especially the English sort of government, I'm this English government is particularly bad, but are pushing for this to be a Premier League bailout. Why isn't it Why isn't it the government? Like, this feels like something that's important to the populace as a whole. Why is it just the Premier League's job to, to do something about it? That feels like it uh, chimes back to the whole kind of... Um, our government's uh, saying footballers should do more right at the start of it. You know, that's the classic kind of government don't think that they should solve the problems that they should solve they think yeah i, I think marcus rashford has taken that concept run with it shoved it straight down their throats and made them look embarrassed every single moment i've been waiting for, yeah i've been waiting for rashford to be crap for a while because because he's his form during the kind of post lockdown wasn't great and his i think one or two, first game of this season he wasn't great but then he scored a really good goal and it's like right stick it everyone because all the blooming dickheads are going to be like oh, focus on football mate and it's like right fuck off sorry <laughs> No, it's all right. No, it's like, true. He's, like, he's go doing Rashford, good work. Be brilliant at football and be an absolute, um, you know, kind of legend towards doing good things in society. Be that person. All, helping all parents feed Rashford. their kids. Good guy. There's nothing. Con- there's nothing controversial about helping parents feed their kids. No, exactly. Um, and his his cause is right and it is righteous. Um, but yeah, I I don't I don't get that this is a Premier League thing. Like this is a this is an institutional community thing. And it shouldn't be a Premier League bailout. It should be the governments. The governments should be protecting things that are important to their communities and the environment. And a lot of these football clubs are very good actors in their local communities and important to fans everywhere. It's just, I I think it's dumb. And I'm very frustrated by the way that the, the dialogue has gone and no one has really been checking this. It should be the government stepping in to, to help out football all down through the leagues, even down into non-league where, you know, plenty of these places are still really important down there. All right, James, I know you got to go. I have. But, uh, got, I have another call. See, we're busy. This is the, another reason why we don't do podcasts because we're yeah. busy. Too busy. <laughs> <laughs> Terribly busy. That's true. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Um, hopefully this satisfied your podcast itch. Uh, check out all the cool stuff we got going on on the site and the courses and uh, enjoy your football season. Speak soon. Bye.